it wasn't was, that deep. It wasn't. I just don't understand why Justin Sky opened her mouth, <laughs> typed, <laughs> typed on her, her keypad or her iPhone or her laptop. Instead of you to be focusing on your fledgling music career, your fledgling EPs, which no one listens to, your fledgling <laughs> everything, fledgling music videos, you want to be commenting on on Instagram posts. Hello guys and welcome to a new episode of Don't Like The Stands. You are here today with your host Eats McKenzie and Nicholas Terrell and Chopper. And we have a guest today. Yes, so today on the episode we have Tara Joshi. She is the music editor of Gaudem, but she's also written wonderful pieces for the likes of The Observing Review, The Quietus, The Face, Notion, Crack, and many, many, many others. Welcome to Don't Like The Stands. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How but- are you? Um, I'm okay. I'm a bit flustered because I was like running late getting here, but I'm good. Okay, that's good. Can we just have a quick round of applause for Tara quickly? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. you said your journey was a bit long. Um, it's kind of good because we had a few technical issues as we normally do. We're kind of known <laughs> for that as this show. Um, but welcome to the show. Thank you for coming and thank you for your time. No, I really um, appreciate you asking me. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Um, how has everyone's week's been? How has everyone been? Um, I've had a good week. Um, it's it's great to see this, the sun come out again. Um, raining in between a little bit. But yeah, generally spring is about to hit. I think it starts March 20th. So I'm really excited for that to happen. Um, yeah, pretty much went to Rags Originals listening party which was really good and he's got a great project which is out now go stream that and he's an incredible artist but besides that I've been quite chilled how have you been Tara how's your week been my week's been good it's been busy um I've also really been enjoying the sun coming out um I always underestimate seasonal affective disorder until the sun is here and I'm like oh maybe I'm not actually like depressed like (laughs) yeah it's just like I needed sun yeah um but yeah it's been good I feel like I've been doing like film screening stuff this week mm. um so i went to like riz ahmed has his new nice. album out so he did like yeah. a little screening of like the short film that goes with that so that was cool um it was like very like heavy um mm. but like um yeah it was good that's good that's good and shoppe how are you doing why are you smiling at me like that i just want to see if you're going to say something that is kind of like an elephant in the room really what's the elephant in the room i like your hair shoppe i want to see if you want to say anything but you know um this yes so this week has been better hallelujah (laughs) and yes as eden has pointed out yes i have new hair (laughs) trying new things in this 2020 you know on the eve of my 25th but anniversary as mariah would call it (laughs) um yeah i have new hair i like it and I've small, small been feeling myself. Oh, <laughs> the selfies, all the selfies. It's only been one selfie. Though. Yeah, but we want more. We want more, man. We want more. The fans are demanding. Exactly, exactly. exactly. We Nick want more. Nick didn't say anything though. So <laughs> that, so. Well, to be fair, you walked in the studio with a hat on. 
So no, I mean throughout this week, Nick hasn't said anything. So but I was know. waiting to see you in person, but then you had your hat on, flustered, <laughs> and you've been getting articles together for us and stuff like that. So I haven't had the chance, but it looks great. Yeah, man, freedom. Look at you doing the damn thing. It um, does feel liberating. Not gonna lie, but I leave it at that. It looks it looks really good, man. It looks really good. Um, I just wanted to say that on the podcast because I'm really happy for you. It's a really, it sounds like the smallest thing in the world, but honestly, it's a really it's good not a small thing for me. No, it's not, and that's why it's amazing. <laughs> um, I guess for me, I've had a very intense week. Very very intense. Work has been on my ass this entire week. Um, I've been finishing late and uh, kind of tried to juggle a lot of things. Um, so we're, I'm trying to get back to finding the perfect work-life balance um without avoiding well with avoiding this corona thing that's going around and like all the hysteria surrounding that um so yeah i mean it's another recording i'm glad to be here i'm glad to have a guest and that's me really that's really me should we talk about what we've been listening to quickly yes so as always we're now gonna all go around and discuss what we've been listening to I saw Robert Glasper last night at Lafayette in King's Cross. An incredible show. It was essentially a two-hour jam session. He didn't really perform songs. Like, he performed, like, snippets of songs, if you are a fan, but it wasn't really a case of, like, okay, we can do this now and this now. It was just him and his band improvising pretty much for two hours, which is new to me. I've never been to a show like that before. And kind of, I guess, what the heart of jazz is and always has always been about so it was cool to see him in that space but yeah um on the back of that i've been listening to a lot of him naturally so the fuck your feelings mixtape the art science album no one like you especially is a really good song and yeah that's my listens sorry guys that's uh, that's where i'm at this week yeah eat uh it's pretty much the same for me i don't have a lot of um listens i'm gonna give today to be honest it's mostly things that i've either like come across just quickly nothing that i've really listened to in detail um i would recommend listeners to listen to mac air's um session with terrell so terrell grice on youtube he recently released a session talks about his inspiration with stevie wonder and um how he taught himself to play the keys it's a really interesting introduction to who he is as a person um i know this isn't really relevant but i didn't know that he was white i honestly did not know that um and that doesn't change anything the music is still great um but yeah he talks about his inspirations he talks about where he grew up and why he makes the music he, he makes nowadays and he's he seems like a really genuine guy who just wants to make music and i know that sounds like a very simple thing but with these like r&b people um mainly like white artists sometimes it can just veer onto the sphere of cultural appropriation sometimes but he seems to be quite comfortable and actually admit who his influences are um as i said stevie wonder being one of them and um, a few other artists which i can't remember off the top of my head but i just went back to a few of his old songs so easy is one that comes to mind um there are some more but i can't remember right now but definitely check out his old projects he released one recently but i would recommend going to which project was it? Not Jukebox, it's the other one. Just give me two secs. So I would recommend going and listening to Drive Slow. That's a really good project. Um, and in terms of songs on there, I'd say Easy, Change Your Mind and Calvin's Joint. Those three songs are my favorite. And I actually remember when I came across him a while ago, he's an incredible, incredible artist. And I think in the future, he's gonna blow up. He just needs the right feature. He needs the right, um, he needs the right song, but it is coming. I can feel it. Other than that, it's been a very, very quiet week in terms of music. I will continue to shout for Tame Impala and their latest album, The Slow Rush. 
honestly, that album is crack. And at work, it's what I need. I've been sitting there zoned out. I said last time, I haven't taken acid in my life, but I know that is, <laughs> I imagine that's what it would feel like to listen to that album. And yeah, I would really recommend it, guys. No matter what you listen to, whether it's heavy metal, R&B, hip hop, rap, whatever classical music whatever listen to this album really good um i had a conversation about this and i think it's lonerism lonerism what was the project before this i can't remember the name of the project before this um but someone was saying it's not their best work opinions it's music right so just take a listen to it and let me know what you think nick um so i've been listening to there's been new music friday was crazy this week but um new music in general this week has been quite crazy i think this is the first week that i felt it's been quite overwhelming so i just sift through what i could um and i've been excited for this first single for a while um because this girl actually went viral a month or two ago uh, myself and eden were having a conversation on the podcast a few weeks ago about virality and uh, all of these artists going viral via TikTok, uh, Trilla, etc. So her name's Don Monique. She resides in Brooklyn. She's been a rapper for years now, um, but she blew up off of uh, her Giving Body preview uh, on Trilla. And I don't think she actually planned to release it. It was just kind of a fun song. And then weeks later, she kind of got a campaign together, got the artwork together, got it out. She's now on the Rolling Loud Portugal lineup. So she's really building a little presence for herself post that kind of virality as well and if you search Don Monique on Twitter and then um, Beyonce don't sue me the clip will come up and it's her uh, interpolating parts of um, uh, I think it's bodied what, what's the song called get I me bodied I have no idea what Beyonce song get me bodied that no idea what you're talking about I mean, I know what that song is, but I don't know what. No, but you know what the song, what's the song called? Beyonce get Me Bodied. Yeah, yeah, Get Me Bodied, yeah. So she interpolates parts of that song, which is why she's saying Don't Sue Me. And then the single came together on Friday. So really good song. I think the second verse that she kind of had on it, which we got to listen to, because it's uh, I think it's like three minutes in totality. Um, it's a really good song. She's got bars, she's got a pen. Um, so I'd go and implore you to watch the clip first and then go and play this song as well, which is available on all streaming services. I think it's on Audio Max top trending songs right now as well. So well done to her. Hope she continues to blow up as well. And then we'll take it to the UK with Brie Runway. She released the visual and song for Ape Shit on Thursday. So just before New Music Friday. And I think she is one of the most creative artists we have visually in the UK as well. Missy Elliott actually responded to a snippet of her visual as well, cause she got loads of comparisons uh by fans and um, just viewers alike uh to her and it just kind of proves that missy's legacy is still living on to this day through so many acts both here and in the states her visual game is untapped we've spoken about so many artists throughout this kind of podcast throughout our four seasons which mirror her in some ways as well so it's great to see a uk act really pushing the visual game to a new level in the new generation beyond that i think Brie is really coming together with her sound. There's been a couple of projects such as Butterfly and Brie Runway, which was released last year. But I think this single is a testament to the fact that she's getting only better with time and figuring herself out what she wants to be as a do-it-yourself artist. So yeah, incredible songs by incredible artists who are building careers. I believe Brie is releasing an EP later this year, so I cannot wait for that. And that's it for me. So Tara, what have you been listening to for the last week? What's been on your playlist or streaming and the like? 
Um, I'm going to second the Brie Runway like track and video. Like they were incredible. Mm. Um, just visually, it's so so incredible. Um, and yeah, like the Missy Elliott reference is like really really strong. Mm. Um, otherwise. I mean, because of work, like I obviously do have to like <laughs> get deep into like everything that has just come out. Mm. Um, so like the Megan album, um, I feel like I need to spend more time with it. I feel like it's less like immediate than Fever was. Mm. Um, but I quite like how nostalgic it is. Like, um, and I think it's kind of, it's got all the like empowerment stuff going on, but there's something a little bit more like introspective about parts of it as well. Mm um and then i tweeted about this but like i don't know why i just went back to um vince staples big fish theory this week i saw your tweet about that yeah and i just i don't know i was just like oh my god this album was actually incredible Mm. um and i haven't listened to it in a long time but like i think because it was raining the other day and like it just felt really perfect to go with that weather and like i don't know i you know how like music can be kind of transportative and like take you back to a certain time so like suddenly i was back in like that summer like three years ago or whatever Mm. um working the job i was working then and like just in my feelings about someone who i haven't spoken to in a very long time (laughs) but it was just like oh like it's cool that music can have that power i guess and yeah that album is like i guess not underrated per se but like i feel like people could be talking about it more yeah what are your favorite songs on that album I love that album too. Um, I think, I think the thing that I was having like a real moment with was um like Elisa's interlude with like mm. the Amy Winehouse mm. um interview snippet and then the Temptations bit at the end. Um, just I don't know. Like I think it's not a connection that many people would make, like an Amy Winehouse interview or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just think it's like for an album that starts out with like stuff that's a bit more like heavy like you've got like the really banging juicy j track and stuff and then like to have this sort of really powerful really sad interview clip um mm. yeah i don't know it just like does a lot for me emotionally i think oh that's really cool and that's an interesting t- and topic point actually um so in the past i know we've spoken about music that saved us personally us three um i quickly very quickly just wanted to talk about as you said it, music that transports you back in time. Um, so for me, that's Channel Orange. So whenever I listen to Channel Orange, I'm back in, when did that come out again? It was 2012. Yeah. So I was in six, where was I? I think I was in college. I can't remember. Um, but listening to that album takes me back there and it's so surreal. Honestly, I can, I can smell where I was. I can taste the food I was eating and everything. And I think it's really important that we have music that does that for us, to be honest. Like we go back to um, some songs sometimes just to remember where we were and then think about where we are now. So it's nice that you have that type of album to listen to that takes you back like that. What about you guys? Do you two have any albums that you don't have any albums that you that remind you of the past whatsoever? None. All right. You listeners, you know who I'm talking to when he's shaking his head. Nick, what about you? Um, Miguel's Kaleidoscope Dream. Loved it. I had a feeling you would say that, you know. Yeah, I had like, a feeling you would say that. That's my album. Like, I'm going to be the uncle at the barbecue saying we went to wall that up. Not just um, in Adorn, the f- but everything on there. In the flip flops. Yeah. <laughs> All right. With cool. Socks. Yeah. With, socks. <laughs> With the socks. Some people speak singing. Yeah. I don't want to be that person. So, yeah. um, 
we'll take it to the news. Uh, so I think you guys have had mighty fine suggestions for the week of what to listen to. So let's move to the news. Let's move to some coronavirus. Uh, some, yeah, coronavirus issues. So Summer Walker, Instagram, having a lot of trouble with that app lately so with the coronavirus she posted some misleading information which led to loads of uh clapbacks by fans and other people who were on her page at the time so she posted um a video about the virus which ended up being two years old and nothing to do with the actual current epidemic around the world so the fake video showed people in china spreading spreading uh in quotations the disease uh alongside walker's caption saying that's some trifling nasty ass shit after these got debunked very quickly she deleted everything on her instagram profile and then she went to instagram stories to respond writing people are so dumb talking about i'm racist and that video was from a long time ago it doesn't matter if it was 20 years ago bottom line that shit nasty and i don't give a fuck if a black white yellow or green person did that shit is still nasty i literally don't give a fuck anymore this is this is app literally i'm reading it as it is this is app it's not that serious for my label, I'ma just delete all that shit. So she deleted it and fans were mad about the whole scaremongering and, you know, uh, misleading information. So that's the story on Summer Walker. What do you guys think about that? And what do you think about wider artists spreading information about the virus and their commentary this week? Um, I think for me, I think there needs to be more education around um the virus and more of a conversation around it um i have been aware of quite a few people receiving racial abuse with regards to this virus and how it spread um there was an incident recently where i, I can't remember what country um the guy was from um i don't want to guess i but think it was singapore i know what you're talking about yeah yeah i, I, I thought it was singapore. south yeah it might be singapore but he was attacked by um i think three men um three men attacked him because they was and they said they don't want the coronavirus and um, which when you think about it, is really stupid to be honest because you're gonna have physical contact with someone you assume has a virus that you don't want to catch mm -hmm. um i think there's a lot of there's a lot of um fear that's going into this right now a lot of people are terrified um, the news isn't helping, to be honest. They're, some of the people they're depicting during um, news broadcasts and breaking news, they always seem to use um, someone of Asian descent. And it's not really helping when it comes to understanding how it's spread. But also, I just, I just feel like there's a lot of miseducation. Um, I have a lot of information that I've received from speaking to people who work in the medical field, um, some friends that work in the medical field. So it is, it's not, it's not the easiest thing to avoid. It is a virus at the end of the day. It does pass between humans. Um, it is something that seems to affect the um, older generation. It's not something. When with I say weaker affects, immune systems. yeah, with weaker immune systems, it affects them slightly more. Um, but there is more information you can go if you just type in coronavirus covid 19 um and literally the guardian if you go on the um world health um organization go on there there's so many websites you can go on that give you more information um i think it's better to be clued up than to just run around and accuse most people of foolishness to be honest and i think summer walker has made a lot of mistakes in her career lately she needs to be a bit careful with how she interacts with her fans and realizes 
um, the influence that she has. Um, but other than that, I wasn't expecting her to... I don't have a lot to expect from Summer Walker, to be honest. She's made a lot of mistakes recently. So that's all I have to say. Um, I'd echo your sentiments about scaremongering and stuff. And even these mainstream media outlets like Sky, BBC, have been scaremongering all week, to be honest. Um, but I want to point out another case where people are actually losing their jobs and money off of this, like in terms of this Raquel Azrin who kind of curates art exhibitions. She literally told a Vietnamese curator, um, Anne Nguyen, I believe that she couldn't take part because she's Asian and that would scare people away in a letter. And this got publicized on social media via Anne's account uh, yesterday. So this is really disgusting because the virus is pretty much everywhere and right now uh i know there's lower cases in places like africa like as a continent but in terms of across the world it's pretty much one person at least has it in most places so for people to scaremonger in such a way and to be racist like directly racist is disgusting in my opinion and you know people from all around the world are disgusted in terms of how they like if they're not they're not clean they're not they don't wash their hands all that kind of stuff so i hate all this rhetoric and kind of tarnishing of people going towards a certain specific community um i just hope that artists as eden said realize their position and realize the power they have with the words that they say and the pictures and the false information that they spread um and I hope that it can be a learning lesson to Subba Walker as well and other artists who have engaged in this kind of scaremongering and racism. So that's what I have to say. Either of you two have anything you want to say about it? Um, I just think it's just not that hard to not be racist. Like, I just think that, it, you know, surely you're aware of, like, what your actions are doing. I d and I don't know, maybe, like... I'm being naive, but I just don't understand how you can genuinely be like, okay, this entire demographic of people, they are all to blame for this, so I'd better be like awful to them. Like, um, and that applies to people who are famous, like Summer Walker, who have like some sort of sway over people and have a platform to share that kind of thing. But again, like it applies to everyone. Like um a girl I met yesterday who's like British Chinese and she was saying like um <coughs> when she gets the tube at the moment, like it will be like really, really rammed central line and people will still like avoid sitting next to her. Um, it's just like, it's crazy. Like I, I don't understand how we have got to this point. Your best friend, yeah. certain platforms, but let's move on. So Tanache, um, Tanache, the Kardashians, I really don't even want to mention their names, but they're in the news so whatever um so monday kanye west and uh, kim kardashian's six-year-old daughter performed at the yeezy season eight show so obviously we know fashion's here as a part of um, yeezy uh, the performance happened so she rapped over a beat for what i do a song which was performed by the viral sensation on social media called zaza so little kids know her and everything it's crazy right now uh but yeah she performed the song this causes this caused controversy and Zaza's family took to Instagram to address North's performance and said, we take pride in creativity and believe whether a child's involved uh, or an adult, creativity deserves respect and homage. What Kim K and Kanye West are doing with their daughter with the inspiration of Zaza and our family in mind is okay. We are not mad, but please show love and support to the original artist first. 
So Kim Kardashian responded, um, showing love and praise. So in response to all of this, uh, the Shade Room obviously covered the clip because they cover everything in, well, pretty much everything in popular culture. They, uh, Tanache commented on this post that the Shade Room posted covering everything and uh, the parents' response, so Zaza's parents. And she said, Northwest wishes. That was sarcasm, assumed to be sarcasm. Um, and she received a lot of backlash from this from fans, general spectators, etc. Justine Sky, who was either a former friend or still friends with like Kendall, I believe, um, wrote in response to Tanache directly saying, You mad? And I believe Tanache then went to Twitter and said, It was an effing joke. You're seriously dragging it. You are acting as if I personally reached out to the little girl, like she's even on the gram, like I'm effing sick of everyone being so damn self righteous. Please, I swear you're just like to be mad about stuff. Yes, it was a joke. Lighten up. Um, the Shade Room reposted this, of course, and then Tanache laughed it off, saying, LOL, anyways, did everyone vote today? Talking about the current presidential primaries which are going on with the democrats right now and um yeah that's it what do you guys think about this if anything um tanache's commentary zaza northwest all of this i just think everyone needs to log off um, <laughs> nothing is that deep uh, just yeah i don't know um but I mean, like, fair enough, if that's what, like, Tanashi wants to joke about. Like, I mean, Northwest is a kid at the end of the day. It's not really that deep. Mm. And because they have now acknowledged that um, they have respect for Zaza, and, like, yeah. you know, like, then, then, like, it, it's fine, I guess. Like, but I don't know. Maybe I'm not, like, clued in enough. Maybe yeah. it's, like, a lot deeper than that. Yeah. It wasn't. It, it wasn't was that deep. It wasn't. I just don't understand why Justin Sky opened her mouth, <laughs> typed <laughs> typed on her her keypad or her iPhone or her laptop, instead of you to be focusing on your fledgling music career, your fledgling EPs, which no one listens to, your fledgling <laughs> everything, fledgling music videos. You want to be commenting on on Instagram posts. So all I have to say on this is shut up, Justin Sky. Shut wow. Up. Shut wow. Up. Oh my god. Even? Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're holding back some laughs. It's not even that. You you guys know how I feel about the Kardashians. Like everyone who knows me knows we know, yeah, how I feel about the Kardashian yeah, Kardashian family. Um, which reminds me of a time where I said something about blocking the entire family and this was around when Kim um posted a picture in blackface essentially. And um blackface, when did she do the magazine that? cover. Yeah, she did a magazine yeah. cover where she oh. yeah, used like really dark tan. Um, and I was saying that you should block the entire um, Kardashian family. And then people started pic um, posting pictures of Saint West. And I was like, including him. And then everyone got onto me like, oh, he's a kid. What has he done? Et cetera, et cetera. I'm honestly just going to say this, guys. And I don't care about the backlash that I get. You should know me by now. If they have Kardashian or Jenner in their name, I don't want to see them. That whole family steals everything they can. And I'm, I'm, I don't think this is a coincidence personally. Um, when it comes to black culture, um, I believe everything they do is to undermine it. Um, whether it's covering a song, they should have got in contact with the original creator. It's not hard. It's not hard. In this situation, she, it, it, not really. Why? 
she she's a six-year-old child she just got on stage it wasn't planned she wasn't being paid for the performance i'm not defending the kardashians by anyway but i'm just saying this was like was it not planned or was it impromptu it was very impromptu oh okay. she literally just got on stage oh kanye's daughter's here she's gonna perform on stage for us it wasn't like she's booked to perform no but no, it was in like so she literally the show was just going on as planned and yeah then she got on and then stage. kanye probably like thought it was funny like oh let me have my daughter come on stage it wasn't like I think it's still a thing, personally. This is just my personal opinion. That's your vendetta, vendetta, but in, and I'm not saying that to, like I am also not a fan of that family. I think they are uh, garbage. garbage. But anyway, what I'm saying is, it's not a vendetta. It's mainly an understanding of how that family operate. And when it comes to black things, and that's just my opinion from what I've seen and the way they interact with it. I don't trust their motive no matter what it is, whether it's impromptu or um, it was just randomly done. I always believe it's malicious because I don't trust the family for starters. And I feel like they don't respect our culture enough. If you think about the things that Khloe Kardashian has done when it comes to stealing designs from black women, uh, Kim Kardashian and the fact that um, she did blackface last month, well, not last month, but two months ago and people forgot about it. All of those type of things, this doesn't surprise me. And all it does is it annoys me more because that whole family's trash. Um, <laughs> but yeah, people can disagree with me. That's fine. I don't really care. Um, that's Kardashians, I guess. I think like there's that thing as well where they sort of thrive off outrage. Yeah, they so do. Like, so like it's sort of, yeah, I guess maybe it was intentional. Maybe it wasn't. But mm. like it's just that thing of they know that even if they get backlash for something like Kim, like consistently will do like do her hair in braids, she'll get cornrows, whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just like, she will consistently do this stuff in spite of all the backlash. Cause she knows that it's like attention. A hundred percent. It's our cultural currency. It's our cultural capital. And she literally thrives off of it. Taught her uh, sisters to do it. She taught Kylie to do it. Kylie's thriving right now because of it. So yeah, I try to ignore them as much as possible. Like Eden kind of does as well, because yeah, they just don't do anything for my pocket or my life. So <laughs> I just want to clarify. No I just want to clarify. I'm not a Kardashian or gender apologist. Just want to clarify that in case it gets misconstrued. Uh, but no, I do think that the whole thing with the little girl was it was unintentional. I think it was just Kanye and Kim's daughter having fun on stage and then having a lapse in judgment. But no, I'm also anti Kardashian, anti gender. I just want to make that very clear before any of you come and try and tell me that I'm. <clears throat> Yeah. On Tanache, I think that I think it got misconstrued as well. Like I think a lot can because tone can't be picked up on social media as but well. Same as her, why would and she all speak? that kind of stuff. Like it's just and again, it's it's that line of we don't know what it's like to be a celebrity. We don't know like a little little comments that we have on a day to day basis on Twitter and Instagram would literally be misconstrued on a day-to-day -day basis if we were big and our profile and we had like stands and all that kind of stuff. So I I think it's just maybe a which is sad to say a lesson that you can't like certain things just think before you speak in on all fronts whether it's Tanache whether it's Justine whether it's Kim posted something I think it's just a lesson to think before you post if you have that gravitas and you have those fans and stands watching in the shade room watching your every move that are waiting for their bag to come through for you so yeah um yeah you know I didn't really take it so when I read it I was like why is everyone like sh i didn't get it i didn't get why people were so mad at tanache but i guess the, the kardashians have so many stands so as much haters as they have they have people willing to stay up till four in the morning defending <laughs> them so it's all good let's move on 
Can everyone hear? Yeah. It's dialing, right? Yep. Hello? Hi. Is this Christelle? Speaking. Hi, Christelle. This is Eden from Dental at like the Stands. I believe you're speaking to Hi. Nick. Hi. How's it going? Yes, Fine, thank you. That's good. That's good to hear. Um, we've got a full studio at the moment. Does everyone want to say hello quickly? Hey, Christelle. It's Nick. Hi. Thank you for taking the call. It's fine. Hey, this is Tara. <laughs> so we've also got Tara as well. Um, so she's a guest for today's episode. Um, and Shope is also here as well. Hi. <laughs> hello. Cool. cool. Um, so we're currently live at the moment. Um, and we kind of just wanted to talk about a few things. I'll let Nick brief you, but just for the listeners at the moment, um, we just wanted to talk about the Megan the Stallion situation, um, and we'll mm -hmm. give you more information regarding that. Um, so, Nick. So, yeah, this is going to be about Megan the Stallion and her label dispute with uh, 1501 Certified Entertainment. Um, so, obviously, she's been in involved in an ongoing controversy over the last few days, which started on Sunday, March 1st, when Megan went to Instagram and said that the label, so 1501, um, that part of the label wasn't allowing her to release new music. She explained that after signing um, with Rock Nation last year in September, she realized there were issues with the deal and that 1501 went uh, so she went to them, sorry, to renegotiate. That's when mm -hmm. she. That's when everything went left. Um, and as a result, fifteen oh one started to prevent her from dropping new music. The day after mm -hmm. going live, so this was this Monday, Megan then filed a lawsuit against fifteen oh one and its head. So it was Carl Crawford. Uh, that same day, a judge signed a temporary restraining order, which allowed Megan to drop music, which was released yesterday, March six, um, and has allowed that to go through so mm -hmm. he's also the judge also said uh they have to refrain so the label here from threatening or posting any rel relationary sorry social media <laughs> posts or threats against the rapper um Megan asks that the judge throw out her contract with 1501. So this is the ongoing lawsuit that's still to play out. Uh, she accused the label of lying about what services they provide to her. And she also said that the label wasn't even doing basic things like registering her songs with the copyright office. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously there's the money. The suit claims that the label gets 60% of the money she makes from her recordings and that she has to pay the cost of making those recordings solely out of her share. On top of that, the label allegedly controls her touring and keeps 30% of the money from it, as well as 30% of her merch revenue. She says that she's never received a proper accounting from 1501. So the breakdown of the funds and to date has only been paid 15 grand USD. Um, by them um, the lawsuit obviously details Megan's sales and streaming numbers as exhibit one and it lays out her total career sales of 918,963 album equivalent units a number that includes obviously a billion streams when you combine the Spotify and Apple music sales and the exhibit estimates total earnings from that of over 7.3 million USD so that is everything in terms of the lawsuit and the breakdown of where we're at as of today um, and the contract breakdown, which we've got public details of as of today. Now, I know mm -hmm. obviously there was a breakdown of the actual contract, which uh, was received yesterday um, and loads of editors and stuff had spoken about it. So according to the deal, it's 
seems to appear like a 360. This is from DJ Booth, editor-in-chief. He's, he'd like to be referred as Z. Uh, so 40% of her royalties net, Megan receives. 70% of her merchasing net, she received. 70% of her performance revenue, uh, she receives. And 100% of her performance revenue, uh, she receives and Megan of Megan still obviously calls for the delivery of a full LP record with two options of additional albums uh and for an album delivery to count toward the deal it must clock in no less than 45 minutes so some of the, the can you hear me still yeah I can hear you okay perfect so the projects released to date have been 30 minutes 40 minutes and 24 minutes respectively um and in addition she's um committed to the full Tina Snow project which is to come a minimum of 60,000 and a maximum of 100,000 including masterings and marketing costs will be attributed to that by the label um, and the recording budget for second and third commitment albums assuming 1501 picked up both options is the same here that breakdown um, so that is all the information legally we have to date <laughs> on the deal I just wanted to cover all bases um but what do you think of this Megan situation um, from what you know and from a legal standpoint is the deal and the kind of parts that I broke down are they bad for the artist is it a bad deal that she signed um, what are some of your thoughts as a lawyer for um, I don't know if you want me to mention it but for a big label um, in that regard um, well firstly I can say I don't believe in a bad deal Okay. Just in general, in business, I think in business, I don't think there's a such, such thing as a bad deal. I think there's the deal that your negotiation and your bargaining power can get you. Right. Um, that's what I believe. Um, but I don't believe. I don't know. I just because I think a lot of the times we say, "Oh, it's a bad deal," because you look at it in hindsight. Okay. Yes, this looks like a bad deal now that Meg has streams however many streams or whatever but when she was just Megan Pete that no one knew about five years ago could we say that that was a bad deal okay that's interesting so for a um, newcomer but, would you say that that like so say it was Megan five years ago um mm -hmm. so you're saying you're talking about leveraging power here so for a Megan five years ago just doing freestyles and everything you're saying that something that is worthy of signing or no, I, I don't know because I, I'm not Meg's lawyer. I don't right. know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not Meg's lawyer, so I don't know the specifics of everything. But what I can say is that is what Meg's bargaining power could get her at the time, right. and I'm sure she could. I'm sure she will agree to it. But I don't. I don't necessarily have a, an issue with her negotiating, renegotiating now. Mm. Um, I just. I'm very. As a lawyer, I think it just it sits very uneasy with me that people can just turn around in a couple of years and say, well, that was a bad deal to throw it out. Business is business. You sign the contract and you have to now honor it. Right. Okay. That's a, that's a very, so, yeah, I get that. I get what you mean. Yeah. So, so as a lawyer, as a person that likes certainty, I know that if I've signed a deal, you need to honor it. Mm. If unfortunately, if in five years time, it isn't the best deal for you, then fine. Yeah, we can renegotiate whatever, but let's imagine that Meg didn't blow up. And we didn't know her. Would that be a bad deal? Mm. Yeah. Let's say if Meg didn't stream more than a million streams, it didn't make and, and couldn't sell out any shows, would we turn around and say this was a bad deal? 
That's an, that's an interesting perspective. So, um, go, but it's the only business perspective. I think mm. a lot of times people look at business deals in hindsight and then can say, oh, that was good, that was bad. No, life happened. Mm. Life happened and life colored your contract. A contract is very black and white, right? So it's, this is the language, but life happens and, and puts some context into it and puts coloring into it. And now we understand that, okay, maybe that wasn't the best, but right now you're in a better position to renegotiate something. And that's mm. why I'm not mad at her renegotiating. Yeah. If you have the leverage to do that, then fine. But I, I mean, I can't give a good opinion to say whether something is bad or not. I don't believe in bad deals. I believe in what your bargaining power could get you then mm. and what can your bargaining power now get you now. Yeah. Obviously, the that's s- all I really believe. Obviously, the stats in the contracts that's released publicly that we have at this moment say stuff like 70% of performance vent, uh, pricing goes to her and merchandise and all of that. The fact that she's obviously come public and said that she, uh, allegedly in her words that she's only received 15,000 USD versus mm-hmm. the deal breakdown and knowing that Megan performed, I think it was over 50 times last year, 50 public performances and we know that her rate is around 100k per performance um at this Mm -hmm. point in time so do you feel like obviously it 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 sounds like the label obviously haven't given her accounting as well which is something that's kind of been disputed in the courts uh as of today so do you think that obviously the label 1501 in particular have a right to obviously account is that something that needs to be given to Megan and the redistribution of funds if she is owed for what she's earned Oh, definitely, today. yeah. Yeah. I just th- Definitely. If accounting needs to be done because there needs to be transparency when you're doing business with anybody, not just a label, but anybody. So if I'm making you money and we are supposed to be sharing that money, yeah, you need to account to me. And if you don't pay my money, then yeah, you know, we need to figure that out. We need to work that out. So I mean, that, but that's just business practice. That's nothing to do with the deal yeah. specifically. That's just how do you now, how do you now operate as a business person now that we are in a deal, mm. right? Um, I cannot speak to whether they owe her money because yeah, I don't know the specifics of the deal. Neither can I also speak to the fact that they are receiving the funds, neither, because sometimes a lot of times the label, you are not receiving the funds. It's management who are booking these things that are receiving the funds. Right. Right, okay. So I cannot speak to that neither. I can only give you that in my example of working for a label right now. Yeah. We do not collect tour revenue. So, it, so it's we the management. We, yeah, that's management. We do not collect tour revenue. We do not do anything outside of recorded recorded um, music income. And is that and in, is that in all that. deals that you, you do with like your, from from the major label perspective? Yes, from a major label sector, you don't do touring. We're not a touring company. So our job is not to go out and chase touring uh, venues or promoters to give us the money. That money is normally paid to management and then management needs to account it to us. Right. Okay. Now I get you. Okay. So you'll get... So, and yeah. I cannot speak to that. Um, if, if 1501 are also acting as management, fine. That could be plausible. But from my understanding, her mum was her manager for a while and then now she's with Rock Nation. So... I don't know. I can't really speak for, to that point. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting because obviously it stipulates in the contract on performances. So it is it is kind of hazy to when her mum was managing whether 1501 had an yeah. input in that as well. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that as well. Um, from your knowledge of kind of cases maybe that have happened uh, in the UK in particular and stuff, do you feel like Megan has a chance at winning this lawsuit based on what's happened already? Obviously, the temporary restraining order and the allowance of the music to be released which happened yesterday sugar got released um do you feel like it's swinging her way or do you feel like this still has a lot to play out before we have a more clearer answer on where we're going with this um i don't know uh from my position as an english lawyer i cannot really speak to american law that's a totally different system and in texan law it's a totally different system so i can't really speak to that at all if i'm honest with you because i just don't know uh, what I can say is a lawyer is it will create a lot of insert- uncertainty as a lawyer because yeah. what you're then telling me is I can enter into something and because you just don't like it after a couple of years, we're going to go to court and get it thrown out. Mm. It, it will create a lot of uncertainty for music lawyers. Um, and just and then you have to think about what's the ripple effect in other parts of commercial business. Would this only affect music or would this go into other types of deals? Um so, yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting. I think we shouldn't confuse the situation of her not being able to release music with whether her deal was bad or not. Yeah. Her not being able to release music is a restraint of trade issue, um, which is not the same issue as is your commercial contract that you negotiated as, a, as, a, as an adult of sound mind, is that a good contract? It's a very different situation of you cannot release music and so therefore it's a restraint of your trade. Right, so two different things are at play here, is two what you're saying. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she's obviously temporarily got the right to the release of music with the trade, yeah. but the contractual stuff is still to play out. Is kind of what you're yeah. getting out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Eden, Joppe. Um, I just wanted to ask quickly. Um, there seems to be a lot of conversation about what people should be doing. Um, when it comes to signing contracts mm-hmm. or um, mm-hmm. getting signed, from a legal standpoint, yeah. what what would you suggest they do for new artists? I think from a legal, it's not, I wouldn't even just say legal standpoint. I think it's more of a, from a, just a business standpoint. I think as an artist, you need to, you need to understand what, what's in your contract. I feel like sometimes there's a lot of these people who kind of even say it with pride. Like, I don't even know what's in that contract. That doesn't make sense. You sign something, know what's in it. Mm. But I don't expect an artist who is supposed to be a creative and focusing on their music to have to do that. Mm. I expect you to have management that are equipped to understand that. Yeah. And that can then distill that to you in very quick points as to what you need to do on a daily basis to meet your obligations. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so that, yeah, having a good lawyer that can distill that to your management is a good thing. And then having a good manager that understands these points that has some sort of, experience to these points that can then further distill that to you in layman's terms is better mm, okay um because you know a contract is a contract i'm afraid yeah uh, if you sign it uh, um and especially music contracts a lot of the time there's always a warning that says this is an important contract which affects your <laughs> yeah. your career and right make sure like there's literally that wording that we put in at the end in bold in capital <laughs> <laughs> and you know and that's the burden of proof did you read it or not did you so you didn't understand that sentence yeah yeah 
okay, so you didn't understand the rest of the contract, but did you not at least understand that this contract is an important contract and it affects your da 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 da? Did you not then think, ah, actually, let me think about it? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just that art, labels just need to take, and um, artists just need to take this stuff more seriously. Okay. This is no longer the road. This is no longer just you dealing with your friends. This is you're dealing with a company who mm-hmm. is a company. Mm-hmm. They're a business. They're making money. People's lives depend on it. Yeah. People's livelihoods depend on it. Um, and so they are going to act as such as a business. Okay. And with regards to this next question, um, I just wanted to ask a question that has been kind of asked a lot again by a few people. There seems to be a disparity between having a lawyer supplied to you by the label versus having a lawyer that you source yourself. And let's think about this from the perspective of, um, say, there's an artist that doesn't have a budget, doesn't have a massive management team behind them. What would you suggest they do in that situation? Um, you leverage your, your bargaining power. If, if, if a label is willing to pay for a lawyer, then do that. Negotiate that into your deal. A lot of the times you can do that. You can negotiate into your deal that you're going to pay for my lawyer. But again, that's all up to bargaining power. Are you in that position to be able to ask that from a, from a label? Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to have your own independent advice because most of the times you're given a representation and an agreement that I have gotten independent legal advice. Yeah. Um, so you have to. Don't ever rely on a label lawyer. I don't even like giving advice to artists and artist management about certain things when they call me up because I'm not your lawyer. Mm. I'm the lawyer of the label. My my duty of care is to the label. Yes, I am able to advise you on certain things, but don't. I don't want you to think that you should rely on everything I say. Okay, that's fair enough. I yeah. think I think a few people um, believe that lawyers who are assigned to them from the label may have an ulterior motive, which we can completely understand at the end of the day because of business, right? Um, yeah. I bl- so my last question for you um, is with mm-hmm. regards to, so I, I like using um, stage zero when it comes to explaining things. So say there is an artist, no money whatsoever in their pocket. Um, yeah. You're aware of the law field, I imagine. Do you know any free mm-hmm. resources that people could look into um, so they can get more information about um, maybe entertainment contracts or um, ways to break down key elements of the contract so they're aware of what they're signing? Is there like a, a a service or something that they can use? I'm not sure about a service, but there are definitely books that you can buy from Amazon which probably cost <laughs> no more than £30. Okay. I generally just don't know about a free service. I just don't. But I mean, I was a corporate lawyer that pivoted over to now be a music lawyer. Mm. And that's what I use. I read books, um, traditional knowledge, right? So yeah. there's Anne Harrison, who has a book, um, which is called Music or Music to Business or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another book that I need to find, but I think it's all you need to know about the music business. And these are I very good know. books from people that have been in the, in the, music, in the music space for years, for decades. Okay. Um, but you know, it, it's hard to be like, "Is there a free service?" I don't know because you know, everybody's trying to make money out here. It's a hustle, so I'm not sure about that. But yeah, I mean, Google like there's things all over the web. There's things on YouTube. There's things that PPL will put up, PRS will put up. Yeah, PRS. Um, ASCAP, the uh, what's it called? The uh, Musicians Union. There's loads of things. There's loads of resources out there. You just need to go find it. And unfortunately, in the same world, you're just going to have to invest. Like, if, even if you can just save up a thousand pounds to get like 
a few hours consultation from a lawyer, then do it. It's your career. Okay. That's fair enough. Thank you very much for the call. Did anyone else have any more questions? Anyone? Tara, Chope, did you have any questions? Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank um, you, it was shorter than we, It's shorter than we said it would be, but thank you very much. Um, You're welcome. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. All right. Bye. 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 Cool. So what do you guys think about that? What, the Megan situation? Well, the conversation and everything. The conversation we had, the Megan situation, now that we have the logic from um, Christelle, um, artist contracts, anything, just any inspiration from that conversation. Um, I think it all has to play out, to be honest. And as as she said on the phone, the law, which is, is she's very right, it's different in obviously America, let alone Texas. And she's dealing with Texan courts right now. So we're going to have to see how it plays out in this in that kind of particular region and what she's going to do but what one thing i did value which is really important to note is it is two separate issues in terms of the trade the release of this particular project and music versus the contract and what's actually stipulated in that and where it's going so i'm definitely waiting to see how this plays out i find it it's interesting that megan's obviously said that she's only been given 15k as thus far looking at the contract breakdown and looking what she's done mm. um and looking at the pl amount of platinum records she has, she has three at this point. Um, it's it's hard to believe that that, especially with the percentage breakdowns. Again, this is what we've got as public information. It may change. There may be some different stuff that comes to light in the wider contracts when it gets released as a full document. But I definitely think that that's an interesting claim, whether yeah. it's true or not. That's an interesting number to come to about. Um, obviously accounting needs to be done as we were told on the phone as well um, and the breakdowns and then we can see exactly how, how much is owed to who again this is very fresh this is days and she's only to date got the, the restraining order the temporary restraining order at that and the ability to release Sugar now she's still working on her her debut album so we have to see what happens with that as well so I think it will set a precedent regardless of how it goes to the music business and to her wider peers and in the hip hop and wider music arena. Um, it has to all play out, to yeah. be honest. I, I just, it just has to play out. That's my opinion right now. Um, but I, I have been seeing some things online where I feel like people are just waiting for the chance to clown Megan the Stallion and were hating on her for, for a while so people were just jumping into her fashion jumping into other stuff that has nothing to do say she's a liar about the amount of guys she sleeps with like so much bullshit mm. online which is really just like obviously some of it's misogyny some of it's etc some of it's just hating on her from the jump but you know when Blueface obviously Blueface got clowned but in a very different way just being called stupid and it didn't veer off into anything else when his contract issues came to light Lil Uzi Vert actually got more sympathy from what I saw in my echo chambers but um Lil Yachty Yachty as well so yeah it's interesting we'll, we'll see we'll see how this plays out we're going to talk about this again this season I think if if, if it happens but yeah those are my thoughts guys across the table what are your thoughts um, I thought that it was really interesting about her speaking about it from such a like, I don't know, like a hard business perspective, because I think as like a fan um, and like, I guess also like talking to artists, it's really easy to see this all through like a much more emotional lens. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that while like obviously at the end of the day, it is a business contract um, 
and you know if you are like not able to understand all the nuances of it like ideally you do need someone with you who is able to like look at that for you and negotiate it for you um but like the reality is that if you're a young artist um or like a new artist who's coming into this industry and you don't have those resources you don't have the support like of course you're just going to be like really gassed you've got a contract from a major label um and i think it's difficult to like in the reality of that situation i imagine it would be really difficult to like put on a more rational frame of mind when you're presented with something like that mm. um and then it would just be really draining then to like face the reality of you know oh okay actually like this is how much i'm earning from this um or and like not realizing all these little details um and i i don't know it i guess it's maybe from like the place that I consume music like on the other side of that business model but mm. like it's just very difficult to not feel more sympathetic towards artists mm. because yeah, and it doesn't only happen to like smaller artists you know like like looking at someone like Frank Ocean like mm. looking at Prince even like like mm. so many people um get messed around by their labels and get messed around by like industry specifics that it's like I don't know like I I would be interested to know about like more about how these negotiations actually happen like what goes on in those rooms yeah because i like like nick said um i was also like on the internet and i've seen a few people talk about how it should be so simple to just look at a contract and then be able to see what the label takes and what you take home at the end of the day and everything um, and i think people genuinely believe that the contract will say we are putting you in a 360 deal or uh, <laughs> something very simple like we will be taking 80 percent of everything that you make um obviously at the end of the day the label wants to make money and i think it goes back to conversations we've had in the past about realism of the situation we're in when we've talked we've spoken about capitalism and all those situations versus what we would hope would be a fairer future where artists are more aware of what they're signing and all the information information they need is before them yeah um but as it is today contracts are very messy things to work with they are um i work in the publishing industry it's not the music industry but I know what a creative contract looks like. Yeah. And sometimes there are words in there that you may see and use every single day, but they mean something completely different in yep. a legal format. So I think it's, I think it's everyone's being a bit too harsh on Megan Thee Stallion. She signed it when she was 20. I know 22. she said 20, but she was actually 22 according to um, Z. Yeah. Z at yeah. DJ booth. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, if you put a contract in front of someone saying you're going to make X amount of money and all you need to do is what you've always wanted to do your entire life, like what, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. And now that we've had this phone call, hopefully artists that are listening to this, the answer will be get a lawyer, speak to the right people, learn about legal terms, read the books that were suggested and hopefully um, combat this misinformation that sometimes happens with labels where the contract will say something completely different to what's actually written. Yeah. Um, legal language is hard as well. It's like very legal, hard. Like, like it's another it's, language. I did it in A level for two years, and that's no means saying I'm a lawyer or anything. It's a whole different language. Yeah. Like we spent the first four months just yeah. getting to terms with the language, mm. the Latin elements of it. Like it stems from the Latin language, our law, at least it does anyway. So I think a lot of people think it's so easy. 
I've got the document at home. I've got the contract. You may not understand that document as well. And if you're coming from a place where you have no money, period, and you just want your mum to eat or your, you to eat yourself, you're going to sign that. Like mm. a lot of people are just going to sign that yeah. and then say, I can deal with it later. Then later comes and you're in this web of, of madness, especially if music you've dropped out of school, you've done all of this. Like I know Megan's in school, but just some artists have dropped out of school. This all they can do. Mm. They don't want to do anything like corporate or like just everyday kind of jobs. They want to work in the entertainment business. All they can do is rap, that kind of thing, or sing. They're going to sign that. Mm. That's their way out. And if it's a big name on the contract, independent label or mainstream label, you're going to sign it to get out of your circumstances, yep. take a risk, you know? Um, so I think it's easy to just say, get a lawyer and stuff like that. But some people don't have the financial funds to do that. Mm. Um especially when they're being pressured to be the the breadwinner of their family. Oh, this is going to change your life, sign it. We've seen that so many bands and artists and stuff like that of the past be the breadwinners and their mums and dads and management pressuring them to sign that deal to change their lives. So it's, yeah, it's sad, but we'll see We'll see how this, this shapes up. I feel like Megan will get through this regardless of what the mm. kind of ruling is. I think she's, there's enough visibility and enough, people around her now to operate that so mm. we'll, we'll see what happens though but yeah cool um but also listeners if you liked this conversation if you like the fact we actually called in a lawyer to speak about it let us know um so we can do more of that in the future when it's around topics like this it was the first time we've done it um new technology and everything so let us know um d-a-t-s-p-o-d that's where instagram any social media platform to be honest you'll find us on there cool should we go on to the next topic nick there is no topic. There oh, is there's no, no more topic. topic. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Oh, so we're done. Oh, wow. Uh, so time. Should we move on to the interview? So now we're about to enter our in-depth discussion with Tara about her career as a writer. So I guess I will start. <laughs> <laughs> I have drafted six questions. I know I won't be able to get through all of them because there's three of us, but here we go. I guess let's just keep it simple. So... What was the story behind you being appointed as Gaudem's music editor? And as the publication continues to grow and evolve, what is your long-term vision for the roles for the magazine's role in critiquing and discussing music? I mean, th those are two different questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sorry about okay. That. Um, so, and it wasn't I, simple at all, was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I started writing for Gaudem um, maybe a couple years ago now. Um, and it was just like, um, I'm trying to think what it was. Um, the, that boiler room had done something like stupid and <laughs> erased like this black woman promoter had said something in a documentary about um, how, like she made a comment about how the scene in Glasgow was all white men um, and boiler room took that bit out of the documentary. Um, and then there was like a lot of back and forth online. So I got really annoyed about it so I ended up calling her up and like writing a piece about how it was just indicative of how um the voices of women particularly women of color like particularly black women like are always erased from the conversation in the music industry um and then yeah so I pitched that to Galdem and then from there I was just doing bits for them every now and again um and the timing was really, really weird, actually. So I was working a job at a weird music tech company um, and found out I was getting made redundant. And like, oh, 
um, um, found out I was getting made redundant and then like within that same week got an email from Liv and Charlie at Galdem being like are you free to come in for a chat um, and it transpired that Tony and Grace who up to that point had been the music editors um, they both wanted to focus on their day jobs because at that point Galdem was all voluntary um, and was I interested in taking over um, and yeah so then like when we first started out, I was still volunteering and I was freelancing. Um, and a, about a year ago, we went official as a business, mm. um, which has been a lot. It remains a lot like trying to like shape how that looks. Um, mm. And I think in, in terms of the music section specifically, like like I'm still learning like how best to do this, like what stories, like work for us what stories people want to read from us um but i think the most important thing for me at least is being able to bring through voices who like i guess like new voices who don't necessarily know like how to pitch places like who aren't necessarily comfortable in their own voices yet mm. um or who have had like bad experiences with other publications which like unfortunately is the case quite a lot um so I think being able to provide a space where people feel safe to like come with their ideas and like knowing that we can develop them together mm. um, and making people feel more comfortable in their voices because like, you know, I'm really proud that like a lot of our writers do go on to then like write for like so many great places and like it, it makes me feel really good that it's like, yeah, like we're helping, like we've maybe helped to support you in some way. Um, yeah, so like from that perspective, mm. I guess I just want to be able to do more of that with the music mm. section. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, my next question is about how you make sure the voice is always authentic. Um, with you yourself, um, I imagine you'll be in a few situations where um, you have to cover topics that are quite culturally sensitive, mm. um, whether it is specifically towards the... Um, the black British demographic. Um, how do you yourself um, operate in that space? And, and are you okay to talk about your yeah. background and identity? If yeah, that's yeah, okay. Hundred yeah. um, percent. Because like I am super aware that like you know like I'm brown. Like for me, this is like a culture that you know it's not my culture. Um, and I think like hopefully I'm always as sensitive as is possible to not taking up too much space within that um so like with galdem specifically um like sometimes it, it it does end up being as like simple as me just being like like asking a question if it's something that i don't know about um so if a writer will write something um i can't remember what it was but like someone used like patois and it was like something that i just like didn't know what it was and i was like um like can you explain that and like it i just think that like on both sides it does have to come with some trust that like yeah but also like within our editorial team um aside from me the editorial team is all like black british people so like like women and non-binary people so it's like i know that there are other people who can like help out and feed in and if there's something that I'm like am I being like insensitive in asking this or like is this okay for us to talk about like there is always someone who can like help out and like vice versa you know if there's something specific to like 
like South Asian experience or like, you know, that's something that I can speak to. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it's um, in terms of making sure you're commissioning the right person for something as well. I think that's always a conversation that we keep having to have because equally like you don't just want to be like, hey, you're, you're East Asian. Why don't you write about this East Asian artist for us? Like, cause that's all you could possibly want to write about. Yeah. And like, cause I know like writing for other publications, I will often, like I haven't, I'm trying to think if this is true. More or less, I've never been asked to interview a, a white person before. Um, and I know that's the case for everyone who is like a writer of color. And it's like not that big a deal because it's like most of the artists that I'm interested in anyway are like not white people, I guess. But it's just, I guess like trying to be aware of that when we're commissioning that like people have interests that like span beyond their race, but also them being like, you know, if this is an artist who's very specifically speaking to like an experience of um I don't know like being Nigerian and like speaking about very specific elements of that then like you want that to go to the right writer um so yeah I, I guess it's like a conversation that like you just have to keep having I don't ever want to be like yeah I've got this formula right like we don't have to think about this anymore because I don't think I ever will be comfortable just sitting back in that yeah, yeah. okay well thank you for answering that yeah, interesting. Um, do you have a particular yourself, like as a writer, freelance outside of Galdem as well? Do you have like your own specific kind of beats that you focus on? And do you like, as you've said, like we as writers are finding our voices and all of that? What would you say that your voice or voices are? If uh. if if you have it yet, or like whatever. But do you mind if I just just before you ask? Can I just ask a quick question? Um, beats. Can you just describe that because i feel like listeners might not know what that means so like in journalism it's like what a journalist or writer would like cover like what um if they have like an intentional kind of area or skew so like maybe for example i know writers who cover minority women in politics for example that's their kind of beat and okay. they go in that politics as a broad kind of theme could just be your beat but it could go really niche or it could be really wide so th it's like theme essentially. yeah uh, theme, okay cool but cool. yeah um like i don't know I, I sort of sometimes still feel like i'm figuring out what, what my voice is um but maybe specifically like i've written about like british asian identity and like the nuances of figuring out what that is what that looks like yeah um and then like music very broadly, like I think I'm very fortunate to be able to just write about stuff that I love. Mm. Um, and like, I like, I think increasingly now that now I think there's like slightly more trust in me to be able to write beyond like, because I think initially people, and again, like the, I, unfortunately this is a lot of how music media works but mm. it was just like a lot of white editors being like oh wait you know about like you know about r&b you actually can write about r&b like you want to do that like because like yeah. none of their writers could do that so then i think like i honestly think that was a big part of me getting commissioned initially from like certain publications was like oh you know about rap like mm. um and now i think there's a bit more trust in my ability to write about like lots of different kinds of music like um but i yeah i don't know if that's a beat that's just 
<laughs> that's just my title. I'm I'm a music writer, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. not a very good answer. No, it, well, no, what it actually was, like, it's fine. Like, you, you covered it quite well. So it's cool. Okay. Yeah. So it's a kind of piggyback off um, Eden's question about uh, the sensitivities between, you know, being a British Asian editor and obviously writing about culturally sensitive things and how that, am I in the mic? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and how that filters into the stories you commission and the writers you commission. So when you're actually writing the pieces yourself, do you like the contentions and conflicts around like POC solidarity, especially between black and Asian communities. How does that filter through when you're the one writing those pieces? Um it's difficult. And that there there are like that that for example when I got asked to interview Blood Orange um I guess two years ago. Um like initially I was like I don't know if I should do this because like I love Blood Orange and like I've loved Dev Hines's work like throughout his career but I was like so this was just before Negro Swan came out and like mm. I got sent a copy of the album I was like the album is literally called Negro Swan mm -hmm. like I don't know if I'm the person who should be talking to him um and I actually reached out to JP at Complex and I was just like I don't know if I'm being a dick if I take this um and he was just like well if you don't take it the odds are it will just go to a white writer like I don't know if like you saying no to everything on this grounds is always the way to go um so then I actually ended up asking Dev Hines about what he thought about it I was just like do you like do you care that I'm interviewing you about this when like it's not my like this isn't necessarily a conversation that I'm best placed to be having with you and he was like, you know, there are lots of different conversations to be having about my work. Mm. Um, and, you know, if it was a white journalist, I will be having a different conversation. If it's a black journalist, it would be a different conversation. And with you, it's a different conversation again. And like, that's okay. But like, obviously you do still have to be mindful of that. Mm. And like, there are some conversations that a person is not gonna feel comfortable talking with me about. Um, and, I mean, to, I, I think I'm at a point now in my career where I can also be more like selective about what I'm taking and be a bit more like pushy with editors and be like, okay, actually, I don't think I'm the right person for this, but here's a list of people who I think would do a really good job of mm. this. But like mm. being really honest, like a few years ago, I was not in that space. I needed money. Like if someone was commissioning me for something, it was just like okay i think I w i'll take this like which is real yeah that's the reality of it but i think that it's even good that you even have that i guess mental battle within your head you're at least thinking about that and i think it's actually cool that you actually asked dev about that yourself rather than just okay i'm gonna do it but it's nice to you to even give him that space because like you said there are various as a fan of blood orange myself there are various things and various topics and themes that are discussed through his music not just blackness there's class there's politics queerness especially for his music so it goes to show that as long as you're making the right steps in terms of framing the conversation and thinking about the i guess the what's the word i'm looking for i guess the dynamic between you yourself and the object subject sorry then it should be okay so i like that that was a, a nice anecdote thank you for that and he was one is an amazing album guys check it out such a good album. So, so good. Um, I had a question, but it's just gone out of my mind. Um, 
Can we talk about your... So I know at the beginning of the episode... Actually, I just remember my question. There we go. <laughs> um, so the last few weeks, we've spoken about technically fast journalism. So um, TMZ has reported a few deaths recently. Um, one of them being Pop Smoke. The other one being um, Kobe Bryant. Um, and the way that media are can sometimes be unaware of the responsibility that they have um as a journalist yourself would you be able to speak on that on your personal responsibility to the artists that you're interviewing um and how you make sure you're capturing them in their best light does that make sense um as it, as in sorry like just wanted to clarify that the the link between like pop smoke and then it's more like, so not just getting the story out but making sure yeah. that it's informative mm -hmm. um and yeah that's essentially what i'm asking you um yeah i i do think that media more broadly now like when you look at like even places like vice pitchfork i think that there is now maybe more of a move to be a bit more like thinking more about quality rather than just thinking about churning stuff out. And I think you are starting to see slowly maybe this move towards like intentional things. So like, um, like Pitchfork now only does like very rarely does big profile interviews anymore. Um, but when they do, it's like a really big event. It's like really in depth, like with the Moses Sumney thing they did the other day. Mm, and like, I saw it, that. And like, I, and it's like really beautiful and it's like really like you know they got in depth with it and i think maybe that's also to do with like money as well like and the amount of resources you get and time you get with an artist it's like it's for the most part you know you get offered like here's half an hour with this person in their like hotel restaurant or whatever while they're here and that's all you're gonna get um so i think maybe it's sort of a cynical thing as well but i think it works best for everyone if you're like okay we're doing less pieces like this but when we do it it's going to be an event so we want more time with this person and i think hopefully moving in towards that direction is kind of better for everyone because mm -hmm. you get a better sense of who the person is um good and bad like i i don't know if you read the burn the boy interview in gq yeah. not like, yet yeah yeah and i you know like I think it's like a really good piece given honestly respect yeah. to her for what she got out yeah because, yeah it's like a very saying. difficult interview very difficult over the years you know yeah. very difficult I would say the word difficult I think he's just quite a, a reserved person I would say difficult <laughs> oh, I would say difficult um, <laughs> great piece it's a really great have you interviewed him Tara no. Okay. Um, but um, Kemi at Galdem interviewed him for oh. Crack recently. Yes, she did. It's a great piece. Yeah, that was a good piece. piece. Really good piece. But she got very little time with him to do it. How like, how much time did she get? I think it was like maybe like 20 minutes on the phone or something That like was that. a good interview for, for 20, 20 minutes. minutes she that was a good interview. Like it was a good hour or something. Uh, like yeah. It was like a very short phone interview, I think. Um, but yeah, so I, th mm. I think like if you that like responsibility about like making sure you're getting the full story out there also kind of has to come from journalism getting more resources mm -hmm. like people being able to spend more time doing that because i think unfortunately a lot of the time it's about hitting targets about like getting traffic um and 
one way of doing that is just getting stuff out really quickly yeah. um, and getting lots out really quickly. <coughs> um, so hopefully that starts to change. Yeah. Hmm. Apologies, that might have been a bit of an awkward question to answer, but I tried no. to phrase it as best as I could. <laughs> I feel like I, I gave you quite an awkward answer. So no, no, it's fine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so speaking about specifically music and journalists there, um, there's been this long-standing history of kind of almost a distrust from artists to journalists and there's been high profile like cases of artists just being kind of tripped up by kind of journalists and um how do you kind of make sure that you in like create a, an area of trust when you interview artists or profile them and what do you think about that legacy between the relationship of journalists and artists specifically um I think it's really difficult. I think it's like a really difficult space to navigate because you're trying to act like it's like a conversation and you're just like being friendly. But like, obviously there is this weird power dynamic where like you are like mining this person for information. Um, and I like, I don't know like how you really get away from that being like an underlying part of the conversation. Um, but for me, I think a lot of the time um, it comes from like being able to gain someone's trust. Um, and this sounds really stupid, but like I'm like a very awkward person and I get very nervous very quickly. So then I, I'll just like I will just admit that if I'm feeling that with someone um, and I think it maybe makes someone feel a bit more comfortable in that scenario where it's like, OK, this girl's like kind of a mess like is she okay um and then it's sort of like I don't know like you both sort of start to open up a bit more because of that um and I will try to like if not like fully relate with someone because you know like there are experiences that I don't have um and vice versa but like if you can say like this thing in your work like this spoke to me because of this if you're willing to like try and combat that weird power imbalance and like give some of yourself mm. in that as well mm. which doesn't have like doesn't have to go and copy at all but like yeah. it's just like showing that like it's not just like about like getting an interview getting good quotes it's like actually like you're trying to have a conversation like mm. because for me that's like that's how i would prefer it if it was the other way around i guess like i i i think you are trying to gain someone's trust in that way but also you're not trying to make friends with them like at the end of the day and i think that's it, also true it's like it's a very strange thing and like with yeah. gal then when we're doing interviews like most of the time where we have people who we're like celebrating really like because that's in the music section at least it's like you know it's someone who we really rate and we yeah. want to like be like yeah celebrate what they're doing but every now and again we'll get a pitch for an interview with someone who like we rate but like maybe they've said something like kind of controversial in the past or like they there's like an allegation of like some kind of like weird behavior or whatever and it's difficult then and I think for the most part it just ends up not happening because like I'll talk to some of our writers and be like look like I'm happy for you to do this interview but like then you maybe do have to ask this question about this like bad tweet that they did mm. because like i think with the sort of audience that we have like it feels like we have a duty to be like you know mm. if we're going to platform this person then we need to be interrogating them about yeah. stuff like that as well um and more often than not like a writer will be like okay i don't want to do it which oh, is completely okay. fair 
like mm. I get that it's a hard conversation to have but I think like it's acknowledging that like it's not always going to be a friendly conversation no um, yeah and yeah I don't know like I it's just something that you're always learning like something you're always pick up, picking up because like no person you're interviewing is ever going to react the same to you and yeah 100% yeah well just as an outsider I know your next shop here, but I just wanted to kind of understand a bit more would the would you let the artist know that you're planning on asking about say said tweet or something like that before starting the interview so they can then say oh I don't want to do the interview then or etc no no um, no like I mean, what, one thing I can say is that, so we got offered interview time with Daniel Caesar um, last year and like from his publicist. And I said to the publicist then, I was like, okay, like, you know, I really liked Freudian. Like, you know, I think he's got some great music, but is he happy to talk about all the Yes Jewel stuff? Like if he's happy to talk about that, then yeah, we'll interview him for sure. Mm. Um, and then the publicist was just like, no, of course, of no, course not. No, yeah, of course not. Which is like, you know, maybe it's my bad for having asked, but I was. No, also, it's not. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not your bad. Yeah. Um. So, but I think, yeah, in general, though, I think, and, and I don't think I've ever really asked any spicy questions like that. Like, I, for the most part, I think most people I've interviewed seem just like pretty sound. But um, I think generally, like, what people would say is like you ask that kind of question like the question that's like a little bit more contentious or maybe it's gonna like upset them possibly um you would ask that towards the end because then if they don't want to talk about it and if they're like i'm done then you still have the rest of the interview and you can still write about the fact that they reacted in that way yeah Mm. um yeah that's what from my understanding that's probably the best way to do that yeah i really respect that that's your goal as both an individual and as the brand Galdem as well just because I think that's what being a journalist is like in my opinion from where I come from and where I st- where the people I look up to they ask those questions and it's not that we want TMZ worthy stuff or spike like you said spicy stuff but it's just getting the real person the yeah, full picture exactly. and it's for Daniel Caesar it's it's recent literally mm. it's in his immediate recent past so um I would definitely be asking those questions if i got the opportunity to do that so yeah i respect you for that really respect that you know i really appreciate your insight in that last question a lot of a lot of dope nuggets out there for me but also i think other writers out there so thank you for that but i do want to move away from the journalism space and you as a writer per se i kind of want to now discuss i guess the presence of south asians in music as as a whole so my next question, where's my question? Where is it? Uh, yeah. Um, how am I going to? So is it fair t- to say that there's a dearth of like South Asian representation and even tastemaker, sorry, in both mainstream and even tastemaker music conversations? Because I know in the past we've had, this is going to be some throwbacks, guys. Ragaf, do you remember him? Yeah. Do you, what's his name? Raghav, am I saying it correctly? Yeah, Raghav, like the, he did the, like over the 
Murder She Wrote beat. He did like yeah. um Oh shit. What a throw. Angel Eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Like, okay, okay. I see where you're going. Google him, YouTube him. He had a few bangers back in the day, you know, like two thousand, three, two thousand four times. And then of course we had Jay Sean. But now we have, you know, Ravina and Joy Crooks and even Zane. But I feel like the level of success and visibility is small compared to what we have now of like, you know, the whole BTS and Blackpink and K-pop and even Reno's. I don't want to pronounce mess up her name, but I feel like we all know who I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we don't really have South Asian artists truly penetrating the cultural psyche. So why do you think South Asian artists have and continue to have such a stormy uh, history with getting that kind of acclaim? Uh, I think it's like, I don't know. It's like a multifaceted thing, I guess. Is that, I don't know if I'm using that word right, but I think, I think, I, yeah, that that's the word I'm going for. Um, <laughs> so, like, I think first of all, like specifically with like the rise of K-pop, I think a big part of that was that like Korea decided that, like South Korea decided that entertainment was going to be like its number one export. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, I think most of I guess, like, South Asian music, like, specifically Indian music, like, it's relatively contained within Asia, like, Bollywood music and, like, everything, like, artists specifically producing in India. Like, there Mm. is, like, a big underground scene there now as well. There's, like, lots of... There's lots of rap coming out of India at the moment. Um, But, like, the interest in that sort of remains within that space rather than Mm. coming over here. Um, And I think... Meanwhile, you have like the like second gen immigrants, third gen, like in North America here. And I think, you know, typically the expectations are like, as is the case with like most immigrant groups, I guess, but the expectations are not that you go down like the cultural path. It's like, you you know, you become an accountant, you become a doctor. Like those are the Mm. kind of like, it's a stereotype, but I think it's like, that's born out of somewhere. but um i think it's interesting because a lot of the time the artists who do kind of start to break through a lot of the time they like align themselves align themselves is like a nicer way of saying it but like with like black music and i think there are like conversations to be had about like where that line between like it being appreciation and it and it being like allyship versus like it like sometimes veering on appropriation and like that, that I think there are a lot of conversations still to have about that um but in terms of like just people like trying to make it in the industry who have decided like yeah I actually I do want to sing um or I do want to rap or whatever it is um I think I like I'm not sure of specifics but like I know a couple of my friends who are like artists have had issues with industry stuff where like um a friend of mine had sent some of his tracks to a label and like he didn't have his imagery online like he didn't have pictures of himself um and they were like yeah come in like we really like this and when they met him and they saw that he was like a brown man they were like uh like i actually just don't think we have the resources to market someone like you oh wow Um, resources yeah which and i mean this was a few years ago like i think these things are changing because now i also like 
without wishing to be too cynical i think like diversity is a thing where like labels are like okay like it looks good for us to have an array of people um so i don't i don't know i'm interested to see if like in the next few years what south asian representation in music looks like is different Mm -hmm. but i also think like we maybe focus too much on that conversation of like where are we i don't see people who look like us whereas like actually there have always been south asian people in the like western music industry and there are also south asian people killing it within south asia and like Mm -hmm. um but um because i think it's very easy to be like well we have zane and that's kind of it but um there are i guess there are like more hidden people who have that kind of ancestry as well like um like i didn't know chili from tlc TLC. Mm. she's like she's half indian she's half yeah like half bangladeshi maybe but like yeah like it's it's like i i I need to check that before (laughs) i say for sure but yeah like i think i think there are like people who like you aren't even aware of having that link like charlie xdx really she's half indian yeah i did did not know i didn't know that so like it's just i don't know we just yeah, a lot of people just aren't aware of that. And like that we, but her. also because she we should like very rarely would talk about it. And like Yeah, is it intentional versus is it not intentional? Yeah, and like I don't know. But yeah, I don't really have an answer to your question, it's essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> um I just yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that is going on there and I don't know if there's a solution coming anytime mm. soon. Well, it kinda leads into my next question, but it's not my turn. Mm-hmm. So Well, I you can have mine, don't worry. Um but there are a few people we can shout out who are in the music industry. We've got Still Bangles, we got oh Naughty God, yeah. Boy, we've got MIA. Mm. Yes, yes, um, yes. We got it's true. Zay- yeah, we said Zane already, it's but true. there are quite a few people, but yeah, representation is quite important. Um, so yeah, what was your question, Shopee? Go, go for it. Take it. No, I'll take mine. Okay. So uh, it kind of leads into my next question. So according to Rolling Stone, I read I read an article. Apparently, um, three of the top five biggest artists on YouTube in the world are Indian, and really, really. According, to, I'll send the article, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write the article. <laughs> there was research in there. Um, and uh. Apparently, India is set to become like a massive hub for the music industry in the next oh, couple of, in a couple of years because Spotify have recently opened some offices there, yeah. and apparently, like total streaming revenues yeah. in the country are like well over like eighty eight million dollars or something like that. So, do you think in the coming years, so picking back off the last question, that India and South Asia as a whole could have its moment in the cultural zeitgeist, akin to the way that? we now are with african music and afro beats and afro pop and afro swing do you think that is coming that's really interesting um, i will send the article i didn't yeah. make this up no 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 like, <laughs> I, like, yeah, like I know that I, I know the music industry there is like in terms of like consumers like i know that's really popping off but like i don't know like i i find it really difficult to imagine a point where like people are listening on like in the same level as like afro beats right now like i can't imagine that happening with anything that's coming out of india but maybe i'm just like mm. being needlessly like cynical about it but why do you think that though um i don't know i th- i i also don't know that like i i guess it's sort of similar to mm, wait think about this so I think like the way that I guess like with Afrobeats, with like dancehall, like with the way that those things have like 
manifested in other cultures like in British culture like that's to do with like as much as anything as like to do with like like British people like taking those things and then like I guess either like bringing them into like new genres and like you know mm. and um I think whereas I guess sort of touching on what I was saying earlier like I don't know that like that many like young brown British people for example are like listening to all the big like Bollywood songs right now or they're listening to Bhangra or they're listening to like I guess even like rap that's coming out of India right now I don't know that they're doing that so much as they would also be listening to like Afrobeats right now mm. um I don't know if there's like an interest even for like artists in South Asia to like change up what they're doing to try and appeal to mm. um, what's going on here. Because I, I think that. There's more of a self-contained scene. You it's think? more self-contained. Um, Cause I think the only thing that's really like broken through here would be like Bangra, but that was like quite a while ago and that already had its time. Yeah. But it's funny because I remember like when I was a kid, there was that point where like loads of pop music started like yeah. leaning yep. into like yep. Bollywood aesthetics. There was a like, moment. There was a moment. Um, that Truth Hurts Addictive song. Oh my God, that that <laughs> was so good. I still listen to that quite a lot. But, but and even slightly, um, as much as there's Caribbean influence in Beyonce's Baby Boy, there are some slight, in terms of the production, melodically, there yeah. are some elements of that. And even Beyonce herself has said she practices with a lot of... Um, uh asian and arabian vocal scales and that's come out in some of her performances so there was a moment that yeah. was true i didn't think about that but there was a time when mainstream music was really leaning on those kind of sounds and aesthetics yeah i don't know i don't like i mean it could happen i i just you can't imagine it right i now. can't imagine <laughs> it right now i i also maybe i'm just like really struggling to imagine what the next few years look like even because i'm so like coronavirus climate change it's like you know God. what is the future i don't uh, even know that's so, <laughs> so dark like a, like, <laughs> the end of the world like will we <laughs> honestly it needs to end well, like, tara's basically asking will we even make it <laughs> will we make it to a, a time when that can even happen um, but yeah so as obviously a music editor and someone immersed in the music business um what is some of the music that's exciting you right now? Yes. This is one of my <laughs> questions. Thank you. Um, that is a good question. Good? Um, I was just like, just like shouldn't have gone into like the weird doomsday stuff and I have to like <laughs> circle it back a bit. Um, uh, what is exciting me at the moment? Um, I guess like I can only really like look at like more specific artists and stuff rather than. That's fine. But, like yeah, yeah. Um, Lou and the Yakuza. Okay um so she's like um so she's congolese and rwandan but then she grew up in belgium um or like she spent some of her life there and she's like she's actually got like seven eps out um but like was like not looking for any like big success with them i think she's just using them to like try out all the different things she could do um, and then now she's got signed and now she's like looking to put out like an album later this year, I think. Um, and she like, she like sings and raps in French. Um, 
like there's some English as well. Um, but she's just like really interesting. She she does a lot of work with um, El Guincho, the guy who does Rosalia's production. Um, and it just sounds really good. And like visually, it's like really like arresting as well. Um, yeah, I think she's really exciting and interesting at the moment. Um, I don't know. I'm really bad at talking about music. <laughs> Stuff like this always <laughs> makes me realize that. Um, <laughs> who am I excited about in music right now? Um, I don't, yeah, it's bad that I'm like I don't know what do, what even is music. Um, I mean, we we do it every week, and it is quite hard to actually think of someone. So yeah, I imagine yeah, yeah. it's quite hard. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've actually realised that I'm not. I I feel like I'm better about writing about music than speaking about it. It is quite Which difficult. Ironic considering I'm on a podcast. Yeah, it is quite <laughs> difficult to explain the emotions of certain not albums and stuff can make you feel. Um, so, yeah. It's quite difficult, but it, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I said at all. That was the shopping. Um, should we do one more round of questions? So All my questions are basically done. Oh, are they? Do you, have, do you have any more questions? You can go. Well, my question is the last question I always ask. So Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, go for it then. Okay. So, you, so Nick, you have nothing? No, I'm good. Oh, okay. I'm good. Yeah, cool. everything's been addressed. Um, so we ask every guest this question, or at least we try to if we remember. It's basically, so this is called Don't Alert the Stands. We just want to know who do you stand? Which artist? Ooh. Um, I'm quite a big Tyler, the creator stand. Really? Oh. Yeah. Um, like to the point where <laughs> I think I kind of freak out editors and stuff sometimes. So I'll be like, like I got, when I wrote, a piece of the face just like dissecting all the influences in Igor I got like really deep into like um like his Finster as well as his like main account mm. and like I was just like oh well you know he like posted a screenshot of this song which I think means that um he likes the net tunes specifically for this reason which you can hear on this track and like um when I first got the commission I was like yeah and you know like i'm a really big fan like i think i have the same sun and moon sign as tyler and the editor was like okay okay <laughs> cool maybe we should look at someone else yeah. Doing this, yeah. You know? um yeah no i think i get a bit weird about tyler oh wow i'm curious what is your star sign um i'm a pisces i just had my birthday oh cool well happy belated, belated birthday yeah you belated and what is your favorite tyler song like, i'm gonna say album yeah say album that's better Album, album's easier album. favorite talent album probably flower boy mm. i was into that yesterday actually it's a actually really know. good project really really yeah, good yeah, project yeah. And i think like you know like i love eagle and um but i think all the like accolades came like late for him mm. yeah, oh, yeah definitely yeah, even cherry bomb i feel like i was just about to say that. more yeah cherry bomb i think like but i feel like and he hates having, that album he though. hates it but i feel like <laughs> it's sort of belatedly album. having a lot yeah. more like people being like oh yeah. that was actually really good yeah like, it's gonna be one of those albums that have more retrospective acclaim mm. it's one of those albums that didn't get it's just due at the time but and it's a shame because tyler well he says he hates it but i think he's just hurt at, that people didn't that like people it. didn't really care mm. for it because i'm 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 a late taylor taylor god forbid no. god forbid not taylor swift <laughs> i'm a late tyler the creative because i actually love old future as a whole but ironically my affinity to tyler only came within the last like three or four years so i heard flower boy first and then i went back and did mm. everything and like cherry bomb is amazing he had vault boys to men on that you can't go wrong on mm. that like did you listen to wolf as well yes I really yes wolf. but i think cherry bomb other than flower boy is probably my favorite and so going back to what we said about when you interview artists who have 
potentially problematic histories. So obviously, as much as I love Tyler, he does have yeah. <laughs> a history of saying and doing some interesting things. So how do you how does you feel about that as someone you stand for? And if you were to interview him, do you think you would want to have those conversations if that chance was to happen? Um, I don't think I should ever be allowed to interview him. I, do, I, I also mm. don't think I would be able to. I think I have certain lines on like, you know, I think if I'm like a really, really big fan of someone, I don't think I could do it. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It freaks me out. <laughs> I, I, like Kalela was like the line at which I was like, I don't know if I should be here right now. I love you. <laughs> so, um, but I mean. That, that, that was, was the quietest, right? Yeah. That was a good interview. Thank you. Like she was, she was amazing. Like she's really cool. But she's a great talker. Yeah, she's really, really interesting to talk to. But I think um, with Tyler, like I guess if I like somehow felt like comfortable enough to do it, um, it's difficult because it, like he, he has spoken about it quite That's a true. lot. Like That's true. I don't know that there's anything new to get out of talking about that again but i also think he's a huge troll um a lot of the time like he will like i don't know if you read the interviews he did around this album but like mm, I, he I read does, a few of them like i think he does just kind of like to mess with journalists a little bit as well um and just which is like fine but um i, I think you would probably have to address it in some way even if it's just in you writing about mm. it within the piece mm. but um but yeah, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just being a cop out because <laughs> I'm like, oh, but it's Tyler. <laughs> have you seen him before? I'm actually, you probably have. I'm assuming. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen him before. He's really, really good. Love. Um, but he's he's playing London this summer, no? He's yes, he's doing Love Box, yeah. but it's, it's a Sunday. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still might go, but we'll see. Cool. Well, that was the episode for today, guys. Can we just give a round of applause and say thank you to Tara for being on? So thank, thank you very you so much. much. Thank, thank you for being you. here. Thank you. And guys, if you enjoyed the episode, you know what to do. D-A-T-S-P-O-D on all um, platforms, social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Vero, um, etc. You can find us on Anchor, SoundCloud, Spotify, anywhere you can find podcasts, you'll find us. And individually, this has been Eads McKenzie. Nicholas Terrell. I thought you do that. <laughs> and Shopee Shoyton. No, but you do that. You usually say all our names. Okay, I, I didn't this time. And, and Tara Joshi. Brilliant. And thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the rest <laughs> of your weeks. Peace.